Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. Hi, Harvey. And, um, no one could rebut that introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Um, things you hear today, people will say, Harvey said, well, welcome to the People will say, uh, Harvey said, but it's a lie. Because I'm just passing on what we passed to me. You know, the other day, someone uh, mentions, uh, oh, by the way, I'm a sexaholic, and I've been sober 34 years and 10 months, one day at a time. And people quoted something that came back to me, and Harvey said, it was last week, and my heart said, because it was what my sponsor had said 33 years ago. His name is Cherry. Um, but the prayer of St. Francis really works. We died at everlasting life. This guy who sponsored me for four years in AA, back you know, decades ago, is still alive. You know, it brings the the memory back. Nancy and I were in uh, Lisbon, and uh, outside of Lisbon, Portugal, and I was looking for a AA meeting, and we went all the way into Lisbon. We went to where this English meeting should have been, and there was nothing, and. Finally, I stopped someone on the street and said, hey, you know where there's a AA <laughs> That person said, no, she knew English, and said, but there's an NA <laughs> two days from now in another part of the city. So two days later, we traveled by train back to Luke, and we go to the church, and it's closed. And I just said, okay, surrender. And I stood at the portico. And, uh, you know, did the Our Father prayer and you know, prayer. And all of a sudden, my wife was with me. This guy walks by. I said, do you know where they're <laughs> 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 And he said, wait. 
goes across the street to a bar. Someone comes out <laughs> and says, they're renovating the church. We're having our meeting in the bar. <laughs> So this whole group of people come out and we're under the portico. And they said, we're going to, it now wasn't an English speaking meeting. They said, we're going to make it an English speaking meeting. And one of the guys said, no, no, I I don't know English well and I have something important to share. And they looked at him and they said, if you were trying to pick up some English woman in a bar, you'd speak English just. (laughs) (laughs) And so they had this English speaking meeting. And during the meeting, I shared what Sherry had shared with me about the sixth and seventh step. God, see this cancer here? See it? Take it away. But see this cancer here? I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. I said, that's not what this is. I'll be ready to have it all They had me repeat that over and over and over. When the meeting was over and Nancy and I are walking up this big hill, I started to weep. And I said, Now, Cherry, my sponsor, is living in Portugal. This program is at levels we cannot ever imagine. And so, in the plane yesterday, since I don't prepare for these talks, in the plane, this thought came, heck, I don't want to start with my story, even though that's what I said I I suggested we start with it. I want to start backwards. Why the hell do this crap? Why give up something that feels so good when you're doing it? <laughs> Doesn't last long, but while you're doing it. <clears throat> Why do people keep relapsing? Why is this one of the toughest programs to get? I've seen probably 3,000 people come and go with that. So I had this kind of awakening on the plane. Don't waste these people's time talking about only your story. Give them some idea why it's worth letting go of our old ideas and our old way. In other words, let's start with the 12th and 11th step. 
If you think this program's about lust and sex, you're wrong. It's about comfort. If you don't get comfortable, you have no choice. You must default back to what? Hopefully we'll get to it later on. We have a broken brain. We have circuits in our brain that normal people don't have. So what do we do? Because those circuits, if we're not comfortable, automatically turn on. We are without power. You know, why start with the first step when people have no concept of what powerless means? We use that word. We just keep using powerless, powerless. People don't really believe that powerless. How can you be powerless when you still think you're bad and evil, getting good, when you're still using a religious morality model rather than a disease concept? How in the world can you ever think you're powerless? You have willpower for everything else. So until someone really can grasp the disease model, it's hard to really grasp the first step. And I was sharing last night at a meeting, this is a tough rule. <laughs> As they asked, we were so inundated with morality that we don't we refuse to accept we have a broken brain. We have pathways that don't work like other people. And besides that, we're irritable, restless, and discontented. <laughs> That's our disease. It will manifest in every kind of way. Eating, drinking, drugs, lust, gambling, anything to give that extra boost of serotonin and dopamine, which most of us probably have abnormal circuits for. But on the plane, I thought of this. Why do people keep relapsing? Well, the book says it. And by the way, when I say the book, like I thought last night, I'm not referring to the essay book. For any of you who are putting all your eggs in the essay book, you're making a big mistake. This Roy assumed you knew the AA big book in the 12 and 12. The essay book is a basically extension and commentary on the AA book in 12 and 12. 
first 164 pages in the creation. And many people just love the essay book. Never bother reading what the essay book says that the basic literature is the AA book. Why? Because the essay book has this little little religiosity. And this group loves religiosity. You love the thing that never got you sober. That's what's going to get you sober. What has never got you sober. Your mind's going to say, how can you? This guy say something like that. Is he talking against God, religion? How can he talk that way? Well, in your wildest mind, would you ever think this way about your diabetes? If you had diabetes? In a million years, would you use your religion to get rid of your diabetes? No, you'd be thankful and grateful to God that he had some doctor or someone discover insulin. It would never occur to you to say, I'm going to get rid of diabetes through prayer. Or if you had tuberculosis, I'm going to get rid of tuberculosis through prayer. And being a goody-goody and never doing anything wrong. So what do you see? The big book said, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, who the hell wants what we have? Have you ever been with some sex sexaholics? who are in recovery and you have a conversation with them and with a male and some beautiful woman walks by, man, you are lost. He does not see you for a second. He is just looking all around. And for the women, I don't have that as much experience with that. <laughs> But I know it sure happens with the women, except they do it more subtly. <laughs> they might not move their head, but are they taking it in? And they're already married to the guy. <laughs> By the way, it might have nothing to do with sex with the guy. They're already seeing the family, the house, and all that. And the lust comes in in very different form, but it's still lust. As nice as women are, as nice as you guys are, if you see a guy in this program spending too much time talking to a gal outside of meeting. Assume it's their disease. It might not be, 
but you're much safer if you assume. And if you ever say anything to anyone, they won't believe you. Because they're not lying to you, they're lying to themselves. Which is another thing the big book says. What contributes to relapse? Well, what contributes is not doing the steps. But how can you do the steps if you haven't done the first five paragraphs in the chapter five? First paragraph, what, at least three times, talks about honesty. Being honest with yourself. Man, we are the furthest from being honest. And then we have all these great automatic brain damage circuits. We automatically get angry. Went to fear. Fight or flight. Same place in the brain. <clears throat> so if you see a group of people, if you want what we have, they're willing to go to any left. Why do you see it? I'll tell you what you're saying. If you had a camera of the meetings we had in Nashville, those first few years, you'd see me and this other members, gal, screaming and yelling at each other. <laughs> Remember Jean? <laughs> ah, did Jean and I <clears throat> scream? That's what you'd see. You'd see a guy who had 24 years meet at the time, have a daughter-in-law who I keep catching, giving me the middle finger and stuff like that. And I sweet and nice doing my program after 24 years. She said, she came running down the driveway after me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I said, you fucking bitch. <laughs> 24 years of sobriety. She said, what did you say? And I kept screaming it at her. It did not help the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about eight years. After three, she started talking. <laughs> when I called my son, my poor son, to say what happened. He said, Dad, but she is an athlete. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, but you don't tell an ugly woman she's ugly. <laughs> or a short guy who's short. <laughs> So who wants that? Who wants to go to any left? So if we're not dealing with that 10th, 11th, and 12th step, especially like the step, and getting what? A spiritual awakening. 
We're too busy at meetings at Greenway. So busy talking about their latest mental thing, their latest anger, their latest lust issue, their latest relapse. When do we actually get to that tension? What is a spiritual way? God, do we use words in this program that are so empty, powerless? Oh, the main word we use. Empty of empty. Lust. What the heck? Oh, I was lusting all day today. I'm having a tough day. What the heck does that word mean? We talk in code in this village. We live in secrets. Everything's coded. Oh, I can't say it that it might trigger my sponsor. Well, if your sponsor's going to get triggered and act out, you're a pretty powerful guy. <laughs> <laughs> If your words are going to make someone else act out, you are it. The egocentricity we have, the grandiosity we have, that we could make someone lose their sobriety. The other word, The trigger. Oh, it's a trigger. The problem isn't there. We were talking about it this morning at the hotel. Problem isn't there. I'll make a trigger out of an orchid plant. I'll sexualize anything. Yes, I'm a sex addict. The problem's in here. I was a chronic masturbator. How can I avoid my trigger? And yet, people go on and on. Oh, the trigger, and I had no choice. I triggered my man. Every time you go to the bathroom, I couldn't take a shower with that. I couldn't take a dump eventually without that. Your mind saying, how can this guy say that? Because I know I have to do things. And I don't have shame over what my disease did to me. And I know if I don't keep giving talks and coming and talking to people, that I'm no different than anyone else. And I'll realize if I stop 
taking my daily medication every day for over 34 years. I do it for one day at a time. Just as if you had diabetes. Doesn't matter how good if you have diabetes, you take insulin. If you don't take it the next day, you're in trouble. This is a forgetting disease. And, you know, I, I noticed people lately um, in my own sponsors, if they're not an AA, they're not familiar with the term SLIP. S-L-I-P. Sobriety loses its priority. You all think a slip is when you act out. No, that's the result of the slip. The slip is when work, family, religion comes before your problem. Can you imagine a diabetic putting everything before taking their insulin in the morning? So what are we talking about? A spiritual awakening. Well, it's so simple. Awakening. We were asleep. We were asleep. We awaken. We see things we never saw before that were always there. <clears throat> and one of the main things that is is God. As you understand. I don't ever try to stamp it. Because it doesn't matter what religion you are. If you get three of you with the same religion that you describe your God that you understand using the same names, you will probably get four opinions. <laughs> <clears throat> An awakening is to see everything that you couldn't see. So I'm going to tell you a little story that happened to me in, uh, I think it was November, October, November. Uh, we were asked to speak in Toronto to a workshop. We hadn't done one there for probably seven years. Uh, we were really looking forward to it. We had a family event in um, St. Louis. We drove from Nashville to St. Louis. Then we drove from St. Louis uh, to Toronto. 
Detroit to Akron to see Dr. Bob Sales and Mayflower Hotel. Went two nights to Niagara Falls. Got to Toronto two days before the conference. There's a lowering lights make sure we're there. <clears throat> and I'm sitting in this hotel room, Nancy and Justin Pat, sitting in the hotel room doing my meditation. And I got out of my meditation and I said to Nancy, we've got to get the hell out of here and get back to Buffalo. I'm in the heart. I'm having chest pain. And insurance didn't cover the Canada. She got everything together and I got in the car late, two hours after we arrived in Toronto. And we drove to Buffalo and on the way, I'm saying, God, I don't understand this. I thought you were on 79. I thought you were saving me so I could help these people. I was doing a, um, the workshop Saturday, and because it was Saturday, a lot of the Orthodox Jews came from. So I was making a special evening for them on Thursday night. And I said, God, what? I thought you were supposed to. You were saving me for this. I had that kind of little disappointment. I got to the hospital about 10 o'clock at night. They said, Yeah, you're going to need to get it. I'm going to get some stents. And the next morning, you go, I need three stents. But on the way there, I was feeling so upset. What's going to happen? They were having lots of people coming from all over Canada. And I called my co-sponsor, Dave H., who has uh, 32 years of writing, said, Dave, do you have a passport? <laughs> I said, yes. I said, Dave, can you take off Friday from work? He said, yes. I said, please get on the plane. I And they had a wonderful lunch. Even without. And I and in when you get a stent done, they go through your thigh. And afterwards, they have to pressure it for hours. And it's very beautiful nurse is pressuring it. In the meantime, she was touching. By the way, this is another story, not the one I've told from a few years before, but it was a woman and a man doing it. 
that's under the Equal Opportunity <laughs> Sex Act. <laughs> <laughs> And my wife was sitting there, and I said, would you mind not touching my junk? <laughs> Only my wife gets to touch. <laughs> and she looked at me, and it felt very good. <laughs> Here she is, not doing it directly. And she looks at us. Finally, the bleeding stops, fits it, and kind of exploded inside of it. And they had to do extra work on it. And um, she started talking about having to check her husband's engine. That an old girlfriend of his showed up. On Facebook, and it got a little complicated. But she's checking it. Well, she went next morning. They're discharging me, and she walks in to say goodbye. And I said, "I'm going to say something very inappropriate. Stop checking your husband's into." If he's having an affair, you're going to get to know him. Anyway, but you're driving a wedge of mistrust. And if you're concerned, you say sex. And then I said, this has to be something that happened in your childhood. And her mouth dropped open and she said, how did you know? And she had a history of a family member who was a serial adulterer. And Nancy and I spent the next 15, 20 minutes 12-stepping her for essay and incident. While I'm talking to her, I see my iPhone is a call from Iran. They wanted me to do a conference with Skype with them the following week. And then I had the awakening. I thought God's plan for me was to be in Toronto. I had it all wrong. It wasn't to work with a group of Christians and Jews. It was to work with this woman in Buffalo and with a group of Muslims in Iran. My awakening. To see God in every But that's not what we do in this problem. As I shared with some people yesterday, most of us came in with two gods. We talk about our monotheism. Now, we have two gods. 
One is a dictator tyrant who's spending all his cosmic energy, every moment of the cosmic surveillance on us, waiting for us to screw up so he could punish us from hurting our children, the other things. Oh, he'll figure out something again. Yeah, that's what the cosmic force is doing. Just staying in this Zeus-like throne waiting for the lightning to be Then we have this other guy. We're very familiar with how he looks. His name's Santa Claus. We write all these lists for him. <clears throat> and then when he doesn't deliver it, when God doesn't give us the list we want, the right job, the big house, the kids not having problems, no diseases, when he doesn't give us what we want, we get angry at him. Man. I work on that one day. When I say work on it, surrender. That's not part of my spiritual work. I want to demonstrate for a moment what I mean. This room, look at all this space, totally empty. All this space where people aren't sitting. This isn't space. Do you know how many molecules, mites, bugs, viruses, <laughs> dust particles? Let the sun come in another way. You're amazed at all those things. <laughs> we deal with reality like we know what reality is. We're going around blind most of the time. You know, in 2001, I guess I was sober. <coughs> I'm going to get to 84, so that's 6, 16, 17 years I was sober. And it was right after 9-11, we went up to New York and it was still smoking. And we sat at a restaurant, and all of a sudden, I went blind on my right eye. And I know where. Do you know the amount of time I used being frightened of getting um, cancer, leprosy, you name it, but blind never came to my mind. <laughs> I, I never get blind. <clears throat> Had a retinal detachment, went home, went to the meetings. And um, the guys all teased me. See, it caught up. <laughs> Come on, sex aren't allowed to laugh. 
serious. <laughs> For me, it's not like a funeral parlor. Man, we're not doing it right. Happy, joyous, and free? How can that be? Where's sex at? As you know, I've been conceived. And so I went through six surgeries over to year. Still blind. And many of those surgeries for people have had you lay in your stomach for weeks. And um, after a couple of years, that question now, God, I'm living a Jesus life now. Why did that happen? Why did God do that? And one day I woke up and I said, Oh my God. My wife really loves me. Look how she has taken care of me through all these surgeries. It took me to get blind to see. A love for me. You can imagine what we're not seeing every day. The beauty, the wonderment, the awesomeness. By the way, you know, Judeo-Christian religion, a lot is based on the word fear, a God-fearing man. Well, the Hebrew word for fear, that all this gets translated from, is awe. Majority of the time, it's the same word, fear and awe, same word. Yeah, what an awesome experience. Someone in Nashville, uh, I guess he now had about 32 years of sobriety, he said, um, God is not something you figure out God is something you experience. So this spiritual awakening, you will know when people have it. Number one, they won't be talking about it. That they won't have to talk about. And they will be able to see things about you that you can't see. People will see things about me that I can. That's important as a sponsorship, by the way. A sponsor has no dog in the fight. So he can give us opinions, directions without emotionality. I can't go into my own brain to figure something out because I'm using the damaged brain that caused the problem. I'm going back to it to fix the problem it caused.
by the way, someone who let me know. Let's see, we started at 8.30? Yes, we're at 9.30. Okay. Let me know because um, we've been all over the world speaking. But one time we went to um, Israel. They asked us to come. And um, they had me speak for 55 hours. <laughs> over a course of two and a half weeks and called my sponsor and um, I was complaining and uh, I learned a good lesson there by the way, that boundary wherever I go and uh, he said to me well Harvey, you know your people like to get their value for their money <laughs> You know, it's so interesting to go to different places and you become awakened to not the religion, but to the cultures. We get so confused about religion when really a lot of it isn't the religion, it's the culture within the religion. And you go to Australia, and there, um, everything was much more secretive. In New Zealand, they locked the door at a certain time. Meeting, um, it's a very different culture. I interact with Iran quite a bit. Uh, and Israel, <clears throat> it's like the same people, different religion, different everything. But it's the same, same type of meeting, same type of thing. You go to England, it's like that. Everyone I tell this story over and over again, my experience. In England, we did a workshop in England many, many years ago. And um, no one moved a Muslim. They were so strange. What's that? And um, after about 40 minutes, I just added. Some of you have heard this story over and over again. And I just Say, you know, you guys are just so stiff. And um, I said, by the way, has anyone like me tried to have oral sex to themselves? <laughs> All of a sudden, they started to whisper, smile, <laughs> wide open from then on. Oh, they were just like all of us. Well, I get back to the room and my wife's crying and so upset. I said, what's wrong, honey? She said, no one moved, that no one smiled, no one laughed at what I said. I said, oh, I said something that kind of opened them up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I stopped the subject. <laughs> As part of the spiritual awakening is the slap. 
an awakening that God was a big shit. An awakening God does not make garbage. And if we're created in the sin, we're very good and worthwhile human beings. Worthy of recovery today. We happen to have the disease. An illness. We didn't ask for this thing. We got it. Who runs in our families quite often. And if it's just too hard for you to think of it in genetic terms, what? Sometimes diabetes can come from excesses. But it's still, it still end up having to do things to settle the diabetes there. In this program, we don't deal with how to donkey get in the ditch. <laughs> we deal with how to get the donkey out. And awakening. Too early in recovery, you start going into child of origin, family of origin. You end up possibly acting out. Because that anger and all that stuff, we're not up to it. I've done a lot of things in therapeutic work for me over the years, outside of 12 steps. Uh, and I needed enough spiritual healing where I could deal with what was coming up. Because my priority cannot lose its surprise. So our spiritual awakening is something that it's as good, if not better, than an orgasm. Like I said, to what, 500 people in Antonio? There's nothing better than an orgasm. Just think about it. Without it, there would have been no world. Do you think, and I said this in San Antonio, do you think a caveman would have taken a club to kill some tiger? If, to bring food back to his family, if he didn't know he was wasn't going to get some from his wife that night, <laughs> and some isn't food that I'm referring to. And the big book is so good about this; these are natural instances that have gone haywire. We would be lost without. We would be lost without anger. We would be lost without sexual desire. But we're not like normal men and women. I'm allergic to love. I'm not allergic to love, sex. I can't have it 
super frequently. And I, I can have it if I stay out of my mind during it. This has nothing to do our program with sex or it would say we are powerless over sex. It has nothing to do with acting out or it would say we were powerless over acting out. It says we are powerless over lust and that is the last thing most people deal with if they ever do. This sexual fantasy. Once that photograph comes in, which is from God, that's how he made it. The first thought is on God, but the second thought is on you. Once that first picture goes into a motion picture, meaning a fantasy, that produces the first drink, which then produces the phenomenon of craving, which then makes you have to have that fantasy again. And again. And go through withdrawal. We're not even talking acting out here. Most of us, the acting out was just a manifestation of the acting in. We had done it so many times before in our head that we didn't even know it was inappropriate what we were doing. You're going to say, Harvey, where do you get this stuff from? How do you know? Well, how how did these big-time basketball stars do They have done those shots in their head so many times that when they're on the court, it's being done automatically because the brain is a receiver. What is the brain? It's just a computer that we put data in, which is called memory. It is not a transmitter. You all think it's a transmitter. It's only a receiver. So the only thing it's going to tell you is what you put in. More shall be continued. We got a break. I got a signal. And we will talk more about this later. Thank you.